We all know there are times when you don't have many choices in who you work with, like when a pipe bursts and you need a plumber right now. But when it comes to your mental health, you should have choices so you don't get stuck with a therapist who can't remember what you tell them every week. To find a good therapist for you, try ZocDoc, the place where you can find and book hundreds of types of doctors, including thousands of mental health providers. We're talking about therapists, psychologists, and psychiatrists. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare hundreds of types of patient-reviewed in-network doctors, including mental health providers, and instantly book appointments with them online. The typical wait time to see a mental health provider booked on ZocDoc is just four days. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments, either online or in person. I use this, and you should too. Go to ZocDoc.com stronger and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated therapist, psychiatrist, or psychologist today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash stronger. ZocDoc dot com slash stronger. Welcome to Mentally Stronger, the show that will help you develop the mental strength you need to reach your greatest potential, no matter what life throws your way. I'm Amy Morin, a psychotherapist, mental strength trainer, and an international best-selling author of five books on mental strength. And the fun part is, we record the show from a sailboat in the Florida Keys. Now, let's dive into today's episode. Do you feel like the passion in your relationship has fizzled over time? Do you ever feel like you love your partner, but you're not in love with them? Do you wonder how to take your relationship to the next level? If you answered yes to any of those questions, today's episode is for you. If you've followed me for a while or you've read any of my books, you know that I talk a lot about how to grow mentally stronger as an individual. We talk about reframing your negative thoughts and pushing yourself to face fears and learning skills to manage your emotions. And all of those things are crucial to becoming mentally stronger. And no one else can build mental strength for you. Obviously, that's something that you have to do for yourself. But the people around you impact your mental strength, especially your partner. You have the ability to challenge each other and to bring out the best in each other and to support each other if you have an incredible relationship. To help us figure out how to keep the passion and the love alive over time is Andrew G. Marshall. Andrew's a licensed psychotherapist who's been working with couples for more than 35 years. He's written a whole bunch of books, including the international bestseller, I Love You, But I'm Not In Love With You. He's the host of the Meaningful Life podcast, and he has a private practice in London. I met him a few months ago because I actually have a relationship book coming out later this year. It's called 13 Things Mentally Strong Couples Don't Do. And I interviewed him for a section in my book. I loved his straightforward advice about how to improve a relationship. And I think that you will too. Some of the things he talks about today are why low-conflict relationships aren't necessarily healthy relationships, how to fall back in love with your partner, and how developing a better relationship might require you to do a few things that seem to go against the grain. Make sure to stick around until the end of the episode for The Therapist Take. It's the part of the show where I'll break down Andrew's mental strength building strategies and share how you can apply them to your own life. So here's Andrew G. Marshall on how to develop an incredible relationship 
even if you feel like you've fallen out of love. Ah, Andrew G. Marshall, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. It is a great pleasure to be talking to you. I'm excited to talk to you too. Before we get started, though, I want to find out where in the world are you today? I live in Berlin, Berlin, Germany. I'm sure there's a Berlin somewhere in America too. (laughs) Uh, Yes, I'm sure there are. (laughs) Are at least one Berlin here. However, you do couples counseling both in Germany and the UK, is that right? Yes, I've been doing this job for 35 years. I've reached the point I've been doing it for longer than I... I've been doing it more, I've been alive doing it more times than I haven't been alive, if that makes any kind of sense. So then in that time frame, how have you seen the problems that couples face change or have they changed over time? I mean, uh, infidelity has got much harder because uh, communication is so much easier. Beforehand, if you wanted to cheat um, and you wanted to contact your lover, you had to write them a letter or phone them from a phone box. Um, and they would go to a phone box as well. Whereas now we have a, a cheating device called a mobile phone in our our phone in our hands all the time. So that's got much harder. I think we've generally got much. We've got more knowledge about relationships, which helps um, and allows us to go deeper. And going deeper throws up more problems. So um, I don't see myself being out of a job anytime soon. I'm afraid. <laughs> How about the pandemic? Did you have you seen many changes in relationship problems since the pandemic? Yes, a lot of people have sort of started their relationships in the pandemic, and that is difficult to negotiate. Um, and being together a lot of the time has also made life more complicated because um, there are more sort of painful issues to sort out. So you wrote a book, and it's titled "I Love You, But I'm Not in Love with You." And I have to say, as a therapist, that is a common thing that I've heard people say in my office is they'll bring in their loved one and then say those exact words. Yeah. I'd love to hear from you. What are the reasons why people say it or what do they, and maybe we should start with, what do they mean when they say that? Right. What they mean is there's a difference between liking somebody and being a best friend or a flatmate and you get on perfectly well. Um, and truly, deeply being feeling connected to somebody. So you might feel like you're great parents together. You love your partner. You love your family. But actually, the connection between the two of you has disappeared. So you're parents rather than partners. That's something I see quite a lot. And why does it happen? Well, it happens because we're frightened of arguing. That's the really tough part. Um, when there is an issue, rather than actually causing a problem, we sort of push the feeling down because it's not really rather nice to have a little fight. The problem with that is we turn off our annoyance and we think we can turn off just the feelings we don't like, like anger, disappointment, bitterness. Um, but what happens is we turn off all our feelings, including joy, happiness, and all those other ones. Um, and before long, you're sort of half alive um, and you're not having the, any feelings. And suddenly you think, well, actually, if in the days when I was really in love, um, I had butterflies, my heart moved faster. And so you begin to think 
there's something fundamentally wrong with your relationship. And often it's more the way you communicate that you're not actually resolving the really important issues. So when somebody says, I love you, but I'm not in love with you, what you generally try and do is you try and do more nice things together. You know, if we go on more dates, but what's actually happening is you need to argue more because an argument brings all the things you're not saying up into the surface. And you say, and another thing, and finally you say the thing that you really need to say, and maybe you don't actually even know yourself deep down what it is. But when you have an argument, you have a sense that something needs to be done, something needs to be resolved. So it sounds really weird, but what I'm actually trying to do is not to bring back the love, but to get people to argue more constructively so that they have arguments that actually resolve the problems rather than actually either pushes them down or just goes round and round in circles. So I think a lot of our listeners are going to be surprised to hear that because we tend to think that the reason couples don't last is because there's too much conflict. But you're saying that on the other side of the spectrum is when people just kind of get along at all costs and they don't ever bring up the issues that bother them. Yeah, that uh, the high conflict couples often actually have a lot of passion that goes with fighting because, you know, making up after a really passionate fight can be very passionate. And at least they turn up in therapists' offices because, you know, they've got a reason to come. Um, you know, we're having these terrible rows. And I'm not all for rows. What I'm for is constructive and good rows, ones that are just name-calling and being destructive, no. But the couples that have a low level of conflict, too low, what will happen is one person will have checked out and they will say, it's too late. You know, we should have addressed this 10 years ago. But if you don't say anything, how do I know that you've got a problem? Yeah, I used to see a lot of kids in my therapy practice and kids whose parents ended up breaking up, but they never fought. The kids were very confused. They were like, I think my parents were fine. Like they never argued once. So it's really strange that they're now getting divorced. And it was really confusing to them. Why? Because they thought they got along, at least on the surface, they looked like they were friends and everything was okay. Versus the kids who come from high conflict families who are sometimes relieved when their parents get divorced. Well, one of the best things you can teach your pet, your children is how to argue constructively. And the way you do it is they see you disagree, fall out and make up. Um, you're actually teaching them the, the basics of how to argue constructively. Um, so it's a really positive thing to do. So what does a constructive argument look like? Well, a constructive argument would be we would be hearing each other out and I will give you some techniques for that. Um, we would be doing our best to believe that everything the other person said was correct, um, even though it might seem completely weird from where I'm sitting, um, what you think. Um, if you believe it, then from where you are, it's really important and I need to take it seriously. Um, we don't do a case of I'm right and you're wrong. So, you know, when you complain that I've left my shoes in the hallway, I don't actually tell you that you're wrong because, you know, I didn't mean to do it and I just forgot. Um, I actually take it seriously. So we're not saying I'm right and you're wrong um, because either you're both right because 
from where I am, it's not an important thing. And from where you are, it's a really important thing. You know, we're both right or we're both wrong because actually it's really destructive, this fight. It's not good for our relationship. So either way, um, having I'm right and you're wrong is not good. Um, I think having the argument at the time is another very constructive thing to do. You don't save up the pinches and the pinches, you know, I've left my shoes in the floor floor, and then um, I haven't remembered to uh, pick up your dry cleaning. Um, you don't save up five or six or seven of those and then you have a big crunch. Um, and I think, why has she got out of all control? Because I forgot to pick up her, her dry cleaning. I didn't see the 17 other pinches beforehand. You have the argument at the time. Um, I could go on, but I think you can begin to see um, how this is a much more constructive fight um, than just going round and round the same issue again and again. Yes, because I see that a lot too. People want to keep the peace for today, but then it's at the expense of not bringing those things up. And by the time they do, there's sort of these generalized allegations of you're a slob, you never do anything for me. And the other person is sort of feels blindsided because they think, yeah, that's one thing I messed up today. And suddenly you're calling me or accusing me of all of these things. Yeah. And you need to think of the language because once you're actually calling somebody a slob, you're talking about their whole personality. I, I just right. forgot to put my shoes away. I think it's a big difference between those two things. So you're, if you criticize an action that I've done, you know, I'll probably put my hands up and I'll say, I'm sorry. I'll do better. I'll try and do better. You know, I know this is really important to you. I mean, here's one. My partner hates it when I leave the squeezies clean things with in the kitchen sink because it gets full of grease and all sorts of other things. And I know that is a real no-no. And I do my real best to try not to do it. Um, although, you know, I don't care a, a, a hate me about it, but, you know, it really is important to my partner. I know that. And so I do my best not to do it. But if you call me a slob or disrespectful, you can begin to see how I might be just a tinsy-wincy less cooperative. Absolutely. Do you want to get high-quality meat delivered straight to your house? Or in my case, a sailboat? Try ButcherBox. It saves me time and money. And if you order right now, Mentally Stronger listeners can get steak, chicken, or salmon free in every single order for an entire year. I love that ButcherBox offers grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, and wild-caught seafood. There are no antibiotics or added hormones. They even offer vegetarian options. ButcherBox lets you decide how often you want deliveries, and you can pick a curated plan, or you could completely customize your box. Sign up at ButcherBox.com stronger and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free-for-a-year offer, plus an additional $20 off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com stronger and use code STRONGER to choose your free-for-a-year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. So what can couples do when they start to feel like, okay, I, we've fallen out of love or I love you, but I'm not in love with you? What can they do about that? Well, I think you need to actually begin to try and think about why it might be. And I've got sort of four different scenarios that are, are going to be quite different. And the first one is what I would call not enough time. And this is particularly when you've got two small children. If you have 
two small children under five, then we are really talking high stress. And certainly if you're a woman, you won't be feeling particularly sexy because all your energy is going into looking after the children. You're getting a a lot of the oxytocin, the bonding chemical, is going towards the children. And it takes about 18 months for it to return back to normal levels. So you will not be feeling spontaneously horny. Um, Often your partner will think, hang on, she doesn't fancy me anymore. And you can begin to get a really difficult dynamic going there. Um, And it's really important if you don't have enough time is you have to find ways of having some good quality couple time. You know, you need to, if you don't have a ready-made babysitter in family, you know, you need to get them to come and stay with you for a while. So, you know, they, they will look after the children, take them out, and you can actually um, have some quality time together or go to a hotel. Because um, if you have enough time just to relax, you can recruit each other to feeling sexual again and actually rebonding in that particular way. You're actually reminding yourselves that the reason we brought these children into the, into the world is because we love each other and you're having a chance to reconnect. So this one is fairly straightforward, but unfortunately, um, the pressure we put on parents to be the great father, the great mother these days, makes us suddenly think we've got to be on duty 24-7. And do you know what my number one aphrodisiac tip is that most parents hate? Shall I tell you? What's that? I would like to know. Putting a lock on the bedroom door. (laughs) People feel that their children should have access to them 24-7. And, you know, um, I think you should be able to have a break from them. And you have to lock the door. It tells your children a really important thing when they become parents, that they don't have to be duty all the time. And when people say, what if there's a fire in the house uh, and the children need me? I always say they can shout fire and you can unlock the door. But we expect to be perfect parents and you can't be a perfect parent and a perfect partner. It's just physically impossible. So you have to balance it. And children are just passing through your marriages forever. Yeah, very important advice. And I imagine a lot of parents have that visceral reaction of I can't possibly lock the door or I can't go away for the night because what if something happens? But to know that your kids will do just fine if you have somebody else take care of them for the night. Yeah, and you can be off duty for a while. They might even be asleep, you know. Right. But you just have that safety of knowing that they're not going to come in in the middle of the night. Okay, so that was number one, making sure that they spend more time together. What else? Um, Number two is if you're bored. I mean, I think that it's very easy to get bored with each other, particularly if you've been together for a long time. You reach the, the, the feeling that you know everything about your partner. Um, and I'm going to let you know a little secret. You think you know everything about your partner. Um, I've spent 65 years on this planet. No, actually 64. I don't want to give myself too many. And I keep <laughs> on discovering new things about myself. And so I don't really know myself. The chance of me knowing my partner is absolutely minuscule. And we've sort of put together. A, an image of them. We think we know them. We think we can read them. 
but actually we're bored because we don't know them well enough. We need to delve deeper. And we're frightened sometimes of showing the deeper parts of ourselves because we're frightened you might not like the fact that, you know, I'm interested in, I don't know, new age spirituality now in the way that I wasn't 10, 15 years ago. Um, find out about your partner. What, you know, ask interesting questions. I have a, a book called um, Can We Start Again? Uh, 20 Questions to Fall Back in Love. And it has some really deep questions that you go out and ask each other, like you were on a date. And, you know, what don't I know about you? What, see, what, what don't I know about you is a really good question to ask. You know, how have you changed over the last 10 years? Um, to actually really go deeper in, um, and I think you'll find that uh, your partner is as fascinating as when you went out on that first date with them. Yeah, I think a lot of couples lose sight of that, that you can still learn about the other person. And we get caught up into just talking about day-to-day stuff and you don't really look at the bigger picture. Yeah, and you're just passing on news about what the children are up to. Right. And you're just as interesting as the children. Trust me. So make it a point to keep learning about your partner then, especially if you get bored. Yeah, keep learning about yourself. If you're bored Mm -hmm. with your partner, it possibly means you're bored with yourself sometimes. It's much easier to have a go at our partner for being a bit dull um, when we've actually stopped being interested in ourselves. Go back to when you were a kid. What did you do then that you've given up that you really need to still do again? Okay, so we can learn more about our partner and spend more time with them. What's the third one? Well, the third one is what I would call unknown issues. You don't really know what the problem is. And so here I'm going to teach you a technique called positive inquiry. So normally if there's a problem, we try and get to the bottom of it. We say, you know, what are the problems? Um, And what they found in business, if you ask a company what the problems are, everybody gets terribly defensive because they don't want anybody to think it's them. Um, And when you start thinking, what's the matter with us? it's very easy to start pointing the fingers at each other. And that's going to make you defensive and uncreative. But if you do positive inquiry, you say, you know, what were the best times we ever had together? Do you remember that time? And then I'd ask, then the other person would remember a time when they were great together. And they would actually go into it in in detail so that you remember, you know, how you took a a ride down that particular lane and what you saw and how sexy it was making out in the car or whatever. And then once you've got the events in detail, you begin to look at what made it so good. You know, it was time, it was going somewhere we don't normally go, it was the weather that we spent time and energy putting a picnic together. I don't know what it is, but you begin to find those things out. So what makes that made those times so good? You then begin to dream about how you would like things to be using this information you've got. So, you know, I'd like us to have more time. I'd like us to do more creative things. I'd like us to go and do challenging things together. Do you remember that time when we did the zip wire ride over the, over the Copper Canyon in Mexico? 
And, you know, we were really at the very edge of our comfort zones. And so the, you then begin to think, so we're doing, doing, we've done dreaming, and now we're going to do delivering. You know, how could we make this happen? And so in this way, we're beginning to look at what we, what we could do differently, but we're doing it from a place of what used to work rather than trying to find what is actually wrong. And this sort of creative inquiry together can help us throw up some ways forward. So rather than, as I say, looking at what's wrong, we look at what works and how we can build on it. I like that. So it's sort of a solution-focused approach to say, what's what did we used to do that worked well? And then how do we incorporate that in our lives? Because every couple, there's a reason they got together. There yes. was a time in their lives where they probably had a lot of fun and really enjoyed one another's company. So going back to that and figuring out what was it about that time that was so good? Yeah, and it might not actually be that long ago. There might be some things that really worked a short time ago. Um and we need to see what that was and make that work too. It doesn't necessarily have to be right back to the beginning. And what about for couples who say, yeah, but our lives have changed. Now we have children or our health has changed, so we can't do those exciting adventures anymore. How well, do they recreate some of that? That um, the, the excitement might be in the head. You know, it might be that you need to do, I don't know, go to a comedy club or something like that. It's it's exciting, it's different, but, you know, you don't have to be able to bungee jump. And, you know, right. if you've got health issues, if they can, most comedy clubs will hopefully be wheelchair accessible, et cetera, et cetera. It's the creative mind that says, actually, what we're looking for is difference um, here. You know, it might be that you want to go off and do a tantra workshop together. Um, you know, that's going to be interesting and challenging. And it's, not about hanging from the chandeliers. It's about actually really getting in contact with your own body and getting the touch really into your hands and being really present with the, the touch rather than just going for the genitals. So um, it doesn't require a huge amount of time and energy. It's a question of getting the headspace correct because if you don't feed your relationship, it's going to wither and die. In the same way, if you don't water the pot plant, it's going to wither and die. We sort of think that sometimes when we have children, that it's okay to ignore each other for 20 years and then expect the relationship to be still as good. But if you ignore a pot plant, it dies. Yeah, and there's a lot of research out there about boredom and how boredom often is what kills relationships and just doing exciting things. And that exciting things might be taking a cooking class together, exploring yeah. a new town that you've never been to. Or Why can't we have fun together? Why has the fun right. got to be for the children? What often happens is people take their children to do interesting things like windsurfing and they sit on the shore with the other parents smoking and having a cup of coffee. You know, why aren't you on that windsurfer too? Great question. I like that. So that was number three. What's number four? Well, this is when there are sort of unspoken issues, things that you you sort of know are there, but you don't really want to talk about them because it nearly always slides into an argument. Um, and so this is about how to listen without actually um, 
having an argument. So I, I don't know if you, we could, we'll, we'll need to role play this um, technique. So okay. can you imagine for a second that I'm your partner? I know that's sure. rather difficult to do, but maybe think of something that you'd like to tell me um, and then I will show you what we do with it. So um, you can make something up if you don't want to share with the world uh, the intimate details of your disputes. <laughs> okay, so then I'll say that you've been working too much and I think you put too much energy into work and not enough into home. So you're saying that I've been working too much and I've put more energy into my work than I have into the home. Is that right? Yes. Um, and then I'm going to ask the three most loving words in the English language, which surprisingly enough are not I love you, but tell me more. And the reason why they're so loving is because, you know, I'm not going to want to hear this because you've probably said it a hundred times before and I'm really defensive. But my job is just to summarise what you've said, check that I've heard it correctly, and then ask um, either tell me more or is there more? Let's have is there more. So I'd say, yes, you're never home for dinner. We, I have to do everything around the house because you're not here. And when you do get home, all you ever want to talk about is work. So it's a problem because I'm late in. You're left doing all the work. And when I am actually am here, I'm talking about my work. Is that right? Yes. Is there more? Nope, that's it. And at this point, I would swap over and it's my turn to say, and you've got to summarise and um, then say, is that right? Is there more? Um, I'm aware that I do spend a lot of time and energy at work, but um, I do it for the family. Um, you know, we've got a lot of things that we need and this is my way of providing for the family. So you know that you spend a lot of time at work, but you feel like it's how you are providing for the family by working a lot of hours. Is that right? Yes. Tell me more. Um, I really would love to spend time here, and I'm slightly ashamed that I wasn't aware of just how much time I was speaking about work. So you weren't? clear on how much you were speaking about work. You didn't understand how much it affected me and you feel kind of ashamed about that. Yes, that's right. And you can begin to see that because I haven't got the ability to defend myself straight away and to hear you, um, that the general feelings are going down, aren't they? We're listening to each other. We're truly listening. And, you know, I've heard just how much I talk about work and I'm getting an inkling of how much that affects you. Um, and we're in a much, much more collaborative kind of place. Um, and um, we can then do something that I call curious questions. And what happens a lot of the time is people make statements about each other. They diagnose them. Um, and so somebody will say, you don't care enough about this family, you spend all your time at work. Um, and I say, um, could you turn that into a question? And even if it is, do you not think, that, which is not a very curious question, because it's what I call a barrister's question, because it's a leading question, it's either a yes or a no. Um, 
But um, a curious question could be, how do you think you're getting right the balance between home and work? Or why do you spend so much time at work? Or how do you feel about the family? What's it like walking through the door here? And, you know, you might get an interesting answer, but just telling the other person what's wrong rather than asking a curious question begins to set up conflict rather than going deeper. And remember, it's deeper that we really want, because I might then say to you, actually, I dread coming home because I know there's going to be a list of complaints. Um, and I've had to deal with complaints all day at work. And I haven't actually told you that beforehand. And so we've got a, some kind of, of a little bit more honesty. Right. I think it's really difficult for couples sometimes to, to reflect back what they hear. People think that they're doing, they're a good listener just because they aren't talking. Yeah. My, my couples hate this idea. They absolutely right. loathe it because it's artificial and they'd much rather just say exactly what they want and drive each other up the wall. But take a deep breath and reflect back. Listen to your partner um, because it's a very loving thing to do. And it's easier to complain than it is to make a request, right? If I said to you, you never come home for dinner because you're always working late, no problem. But if I say to you, hey, could you come home for on time for dinner tomorrow, there's a chance you don't do it. And then I feel rejected versus if I just make it a complaint, right? Yeah. Uh, but if you can be, if I fail to do it and you tell me, actually, I feel rejected and hurt rather than shouting at me, I, you know, if you report your feelings, I generally will hear them and do my very best to change them. You know, if you just shout at me, I'll get defensive because I'm a good guy in my own head. But we're, right. not, we're not dividing this into good guys and bad guys. We're trying to communicate effectively with each other. So if couples do these four things or they come up with the strategies to change the way that they relate to each other, is there hope that they can feel like they're in love again? Oh, most definitely. I mean, if it's really important if your partner says, I love you, but I'm not in love with you, to really take it seriously. Um, and if you do, you can turn around your relationship because no relationship is perfect. What we need to do is we've had a rupture and now we need to do a repair. And it's the repairs that are actually really bonding rather than trying to forever avoid the ruptures and, you know, getting into that game of I'm right and you're wrong. It's not my fault. Um, it's just one of the most destructive things you can do. Listening to your partner, even if you don't agree, um, is a very constructive thing to do. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again, a very loving thing to do. I think a lot of our listeners will be relieved to hear that because I know a lot of people think, well, I'm just not in love with my partner anymore. And that chapter of our lives has closed and they kind of come to a place of acceptance that this is what it's going to be like. So then to know, well, perhaps there are some steps we can take to feel like we are in love again might be a big relief. Yeah, and ask yourself the question. Here's another curious question for you. What could I do differently? Because we often have 100 ideas for what our partner could do differently. But beyond giving up, um, we have no ideas for what I could do differently. And hopefully I've given you 
five or six ideas for what you could do differently. And if you uh, behave differently, the likelihood is you'll change the dynamic and your partner will behave differently. So last question for you. When do you recommend a couple see a couple's counselor? Um, sooner rather than later. If you're actually thinking, do I need to see one? The answer is yes. <laughs> I think so as well. And I think a lot of people wait longer than they wish they would have waited. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens a huge amount is people have a, have a conflict. They book an appointment to see me and you know, it takes a couple of weeks to organize that. And then by the time they actually get to see me, one of them saying, you know, it's over. Um, right. And often they've been thinking about doing it five years ago, but they decided it wasn't that serious. And if your instincts are telling you there's a problem, your instincts are probably right. So go, don't wait. Uh, Andrew G. Marshall, thank you so much for being on Mentally Stronger. It's been my pleasure. Welcome to The Therapist Take. This is the part of the show where I'll break down some of my favorite strategies from Andrew and talk about how you can apply them to your own life. So Andrew shared lots of great ideas, but here are three of my favorite relationship tips from him. Number one. Allow yourself to feel all the emotions, even the uncomfortable ones. Andrew talked about the dangers of turning off our emotions. It's something that we all do sometimes, and it's not just in relationships. We don't want to experience uncomfortable feelings like disappointment or embarrassment or sadness. So we try to become numb to them. But you can't just shut off some emotions. If you try to cut off the uncomfortable feelings... You'll be numb to things like happiness and excitement and all those emotions that you actually want to feel. There are lots of reasons that we do this. Sometimes we're just protecting ourselves from getting hurt. Sometimes it's related to past trauma too, that we just become numb. But if you want to feel the emotions that feel good, you have to let yourself feel the ones that feel bad too. If you struggle with this, you might want to get some professional help because it can affect all areas of your life, not just your relationships. Number two, address problems even if it's going to cause conflict. This is a big one. Problems don't disappear just because you don't talk about them. They grow to be even bigger, and sometimes it creates unresolved anger and resentment too. Now, that's not to say that you should voice every single irritation that you feel. You can keep a lot of those unkind thoughts to yourself. When you're calmer, you might not think the same way anyway. But if there's a problem in your relationship, like you're drowning in debt and it's affecting your mental health, or you've been feeling ignored by your partner lately, make sure that you address it, talk about it. The goal of a healthy relationship isn't to never argue, it's to work through problems in a healthy way, knowing that you're going to disagree sometimes about how to handle those things. Make sure that you address those problems rather than just being conflict avoidant. And number three, Create time for each other. This one seems obvious. Of course, you need to spend quality time together. But putting that into practice is different. I encounter so many couples who say that they're going to spend time together later, like when the kids are a little older or when work slows down a little bit. And they keep neglecting their partnership in the meantime. It's easy, too, to tell yourself that you are spending time together because you're both in the same room 
like when you're watching TV, but really you're both scrolling through your phones and you're not actually giving each other quality time. It's important to set aside time to have healthy conversations, not just conversations about running the household or managing money or dealing with the kids. Put time in your schedule to actually enjoy one another's company. And by that, I don't mean that you should schedule an hour a week to go eat dinner at the same restaurant like it's a chore to check off your to-do list. Instead, make time for each other by scheduling fun things to do. Boredom kills way more relationships than conflict does. So it's important to try new things, explore new places, and actually have fun together. There's a whole bunch of research behind this. It shows that when you have fun with someone, you actually like that person that you did it with way more. Because your brain associates the fun time that you had with positive feelings for the person that you were with when you had fun. So when you do really fun things for your partner, I guarantee you'll start to love them even more. So those are three of Andrew's tips that I highly recommend. Allow yourself to feel all your feelings, even the uncomfortable ones. Address problems, even if it's going to cause conflict. And spend quality time together. To learn more from Andrew, check out his best-selling book, I Love You, But I'm Not In Love With You. If you know someone who could benefit from learning about how to become mentally stronger, please share this show with them. Simply sharing a link to this episode could help someone feel better and grow stronger. And don't forget to subscribe to the show so that you can get mental strength tips delivered to you every single week. Do you want free access to my online course? It's called 10 Mental Strength Exercises That Will Help You Reach Your Greatest Potential. To get your free pass, all you have to do is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Then send us a screenshot of your review. Our email address is podcast at amymorinlcsw.com. Again, it's podcast at amymorinlcsw, as in licensed clinical social worker.com. We'll reply with your all access pass to the course. Thank you for hanging out with me today and thank you for listening to Mentally Stronger.